And here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name, of course, is Eddie Cohn, host, creator, producer of The Spiritual Spiral. I'm thrilled you're listening. I'm thrilled about today's episode because it was my first time having two guests in the studio. Incredibly thankful that Paul Tioto and Calvin Corzine took the time to come over here and talk on the show. And Calvin, you know, has been my yoga teacher, one of my yoga teachers over the last few years. And he's become a good friend of mine. And we have a lot of talks about tech and social media and the world around us. And he and I were talking about four months ago about, you know, I think it would be really cool if you, me, and Paul talked all at once. And we had thought about doing a Skype conversation because Paul is now living in Bali with his wife, teaching yoga, meditation. But about two weeks ago, Paul flew back to the States just to be on my show. No, he flew back to the States to go visit his family in Arizona. So he had a day here in LA and he was gracious enough to come over to my place and record a podcast with Calvin, which is really freaking awesome for both of them to do. They're both really busy. I think the reality is, is that it's nice to put the phone down and talk. And I was thinking, you know, I I want this intro to be quick. I've got a lot on my mind. I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts. I've been reading this book called Indistractable. There's this great conversation that I'm going to talk about on my next podcast where Ezra Klein is talking to Dave Edgers, one of my favorite writers, and they speak sort of about tech and social media, distractions, and this sort of willingness in our society to sort of just embrace technology like it's no big deal. I mean, I think we love convenience. And I guess my point is, is that it's not convenient to put your phone down and come over to my studio and talk for an hour and a half. I don't think we do that much anymore. And so I think I'd like, I'd like to at least think that Paul and Calvin thought it would be fun to come over here and talk about yoga, talk about Bikram, talk about gurus, mentorship, meditation, some of the toxicity of social media. So it's a really great conversation. And I, I think that's something I'm trying to create is more conversation. Couple points, you know, I know it can feel as though I'm a bit misanthropic or that I'm sort of filled with vitriol because I just criticize. I like to think more about it though, is take notice of what's happening in our culture. And that's sort of a kind of a reason why I became a yoga teacher about three, four years ago. I was noticing something that was sort of turning me off to our culture or the, or what's happening in our culture. And it feels as though you need to embrace technology to exist. It feels as though you have to be on social media to exist. It has become, at least in America, and Paul talks about this, sort of the differences between America and Bali, at least here in America, and I have friends in Europe, it feels as though we're, tr- we're embracing as much as quickly as we can without really thinking. Now, It doesn't seem like a big deal. And, you know, Calvin and I were sort of talking about this. You know, I brought up this this analogy in New York where I see people staring at their phones and walking into each other and walking into telephone poles and walking into the middle of the street almost getting hit by cars because they're staring at their phones. You know, Calvin, and I agree with him on the one hand, it's, it's amusing And he laughs at it, and I certainly laugh at it also, but I think it's gotten to the point 
where it's disrupting our culture more than ever. And how does that connect to yoga? Well, I I like to think yoga is, you know, there's different aspects to yoga. And yoga sort of falls into this very interesting modality where people can interpret so many different ways. And that may be a good thing. It could also be a bad thing. But I like to think of yoga as not only creating some physical strength, but being comfortable with the good and the bad that's residing inside your head, noticing what's going on, connecting with your body and your mind, being able to turn your phone off and sit still for a half hour or an hour. Those simple acts of connection, connecting with yourself, are getting lost because of technology. And it does feel, though, sometimes when I see yoga teachers posting a lot of stories on Instagram over 20, 30, and these are people that I've stopped following because to me, they're not really helping. They're perpetuating this process of people obsessing over technology. To me, yoga teachers should hopefully help people connect more with themselves, be more comfortable with themselves, be more comfortable with not just the external, but some of the intrinsic qualities, the subtleties of our lives. Last little bit here, you know, Dave Edgars was talking on the podcast about how he doesn't have Wi-Fi. He doesn't have a smartphone. And, you know, right away, that could seem completely insane, but maybe it's not. Why do we feel like we have to keep consuming and purchasing surrounding ourselves with Instagram and social media and Facebook and phones and iPads. I mean, of course, technology can make our lives easier and more convenient, but I do get the sense that it's dehumanizing us. And I think one way to get that back is through meditation, through going to yoga class, and through putting the phone down and having face-to-face conversations. And I was just thinking before we get on with the conversation with Calvin and Paul, if you go out to dinner sometime in the next couple of weeks and you're with somebody and they have to have their phone on the table, you should just get up and leave. I mean, seriously. Because it means that you are not worthy enough where they can't put their phone away for an hour, an hour and a half, and actually have a face-to-face conversation with you without being distracted. Just something that I was thinking about. So thanks again so much for Paul and Calvin coming over here, talking with me. Calvin, I I really love going to his class. I've never taken Paul's class, but I have to say, I really connect with him. Not just as a yoga teacher, but I love how he's a musician, a singer. There's Both of them are very sensitive, but there's this sort of artistic quality to Paul that I really connect with. And actually about 40 minutes into the show, I play one of Paul's, at least a little clip of one of Paul's songs. He typically plays guitar during Shavasana at the end of his classes. I just feel as though my friendship with these two guys has grown because we've taken the time to talk. And it's pretty powerful. And one of my goals over the next like year or two is to go to Thailand and then visit Paul and his wife in Bali and take a yoga class with him in Bali. I just think that would be freaking awesome. So as always, if you dig the show, you can write a review, head over to iTunes, give it a five stars, 
share it with one of your friends. Be sure to visit Calvin over at Yoga Works in Santa Monica on Main Street. He's there, I think, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Sundays. And then Paul, you can visit him all the way in Bali. Go to Bali for a few weeks, take some yoga classes, take some meditation. Either way, great guys. Thrilled they took the time to talk to me. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Again, if you dig the show, share it with friends. You can message me at Instagram, at Eddie Cohn, or Twitter, at Eddie Cohn. And that's it. So thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Oh, the cats really. Are you like use you that guys. microphone the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's who? Are, who are your biggest influences in terms of podcasts? Do you like Joe Rogan? Do you like Tim Ferriss? I can't stand Tim Ferriss. Really? Yeah. Well, there's there's just a. He's a, a little cocky. Yes, exactly. You know the problem with this podcast today is that if I don't focus, um, we're going to just shoot the shit for like an hour and not and just listen to Calvin. Um, drink coffee. Make inappropriate jokes. Right. So I got to say, though, the time... First of all, thanks for being here. Are you recording already? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> he already caught your arrogant metric system comment. <laughs> yeah. No, don't worry. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting timing because I... You know, I sent you the Patapi Joy article that went, was on New York Times a couple yeah, yeah, weeks yeah. ago. And you read it a little while ago. And then I watched the Bikram Yoga... Um, documentary last night on netflix have you seen the 30 for 30 no. i've seen the 30 for 30 i think the 30 for 30 is even better well this is here this i'm curious this is what i'm confused about i i like to think that yoga has this potential to change people's lives and there's a depth to it but then i also think how easily people are manipulated and potentially brainwashed into believing that these people are like gods and maybe it should be thought of as merely a fitness modality because the minute people give it that power, right. Then I feel like people take advantage of it. Some people I thought, see, I think the most disturbing stuff about all the Bikram thing is just how many people are out there just searching for some form of a validation that gives it the power, not the power that he took or projected, but just how many millions of people will just, throw any logic to the wind at the idea of finding validation or finding a guru or making them basically feel better about themselves. Yeah. Because that power is given. It's not taken. Like, it was interesting about the Johnny Kest thing that came up recently. Right. I don't know if you guys saw the videos. I did. Of, you've read the article. No, I've, I've, heard, I've heard. I haven't actually had a chance to look at it yet, but I've oh, heard. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, there's some yeah. videos about... Uh, basically, it's like a group of women that he's doing a training and he's doing what he calls a diaper change adjustment. And it's like, bro, first of all, if you're, you, you know, nothing good is coming yeah. from wrapping a woman's legs around you. And then there's a, a woman who speaks up against it in class. And he's like, what, should I ask you permission to touch you? And then he puts his hand on her head in a very like demeaning way. And she spoke up. Whereas the other people in the room are like, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable, but I, I, you know, that's basically great that you're, you speak up because a lot of people wouldn't speak up. What's tricky, though, for me, and I've done 
a couple teacher trainings, but there, you know, Matt Fippen, when he went to the, the adjustment section, everybody was just, oh, yes, yes, I need to learn adjustments because my students love to be adjusted. And there is a value. Like a lot of people go to classes to get adjusted. They really enjoy that. But I think, as you're saying, people seem to take advantage of the power. It's the number one piece of constructive criticism that I get that I don't give enough adjustments. That you don't give enough. Yeah. And, and you also have to remember it's very cultural. So like in, you know, I, I, I live in, in Indonesia and there's at the studio that I teach at, there's people coming from all over the world. And if they're from a Latin American country um, or if they're from Europe, France or Europe, like they want to be touched more. And there's, um, there's not the same stigma um, as there is in the United States. So it's literally by far the number one piece of constructive criticism that I get is I wish you would give me, and it's not coming from any type of like sexual or anything. Like they're just saying like, I, I, I want you to help me, you know, not dump into my shoulders as if I'm floating up into pinch of my rasana or, right. you know, help me open up my chest in Urvadhanyarasana or like simple adjustments. And that's the number one, um, criticism that I receive. And I, and, and it's, I think it's partially because of being in here and being in Los Angeles for a long time, which is like a lawsuit happy, yeah, you know, and at the same time, hearing these horrible things about some of these teachers, it makes you not want to touch people. And then the number one piece of criticism that I get is please touch us more right in a respectful way. Yeah. Well, it, Tactile feedback is one of the best ways to teach somebody because I was in a class the other day and you had, you know, I had a a teacher who was like, you could tell she'd been studying not for that long, but was, she was smart. You know, she had an idea of what she was trying to get at, but she gave a couple of instructions. She told the room, and this was at a hot yoga studio that wasn't particular, you know, the, the student base isn't particularly advanced, we would say. You know, she's telling them to engage their serratus. And I'm, you know, I'm in the back. I'm like, these people don't know what their serratus is, nor how to engage it. Mm-hmm. Then she started telling them to do scapular push-ups. And I'm like, yes, I understand that and the nuances, but why you can't do that. However, if I were to come around and put my finger on your serratus and say, I want you to engage here, that would be great. However, the difference between doing that and manipulating your body I think is a big thing because in Europe, although I think they have it right because they'll go for a run if they want to work out, they'll lift weights and then they'll go to yoga if they want to do yoga. Um, I've been around groups of people where they do a ton of adjustments and it feels a little time massagey, to be honest. And people do get hurt. Yeah. You know, last time I was in Europe, there was, um, there was a person, not, not the person I was teaching with, but somebody else was giving adjustments and it was, you know, it was just kind of rubbing people the whole time. And it was a female, so it was okay. But what happened when I got back is one of my students actually had her back thrown out from this teacher adjusting her. And then if, if you were to say something to the teacher, the teacher would be defensive or this or that. But it, it happens a lot more than we like to admit. And the idea of touching to actually fix a pose is different than rubbing, manipulating, those sorts of things. To open the chest or something, I could very easily take my fingers and put a couple of small, like, touch here, touch here, do this, and that would actually be more efficient. It just wouldn't feel as good. 
Do you think there's a God complex that that can happen? And, and I'll just say, you know, clearly Patabi Joyce and Bikram completely overstepped their boundaries, took advantage of a situation completely egomaniacal, completely out of touch with reality. But I have sensed here in L.A., you know, I took Brian Kest's class years ago. And I, I just, the ego that oozed off of him was just over the top. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And I've sensed that energy from other teachers in L.A. And I wonder, you may know better just because you don't live here anymore, but there does feel as though a God complex or movie star attitude or celebrity attitude can happen around yoga teachers. And I don't know if it's an L.A. thing or, I mean, what do you think? It's a fine line between confidence and egotist egotistical or whatever yeah yeah and i think that um i think one of the major things that nobody's doing is nobody is having a frank discussion of what it's like to perhaps be a man like bikram or patabi joyce and to spend the first 25 years of your life getting very little attention from women and then be put in this platform where all of a sudden you're getting a ton of attention from women. Hmm. And if you don't have any type of mentor or person telling you how to be able to handle that, it's not... I mean, if you've been to India culturally, like, I could actually see how it would be like throwing a person into a party with, like, a bunch of drugs that's what that's what it would be like all of a sudden getting this much attention from women yeah and and his guru these gurus never taught them how to be able to deal with that they 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 teach you philosophy and they teach you meditation they teach you this and that but they don't teach you what it's like to all of a sudden have a room full of 70 percent half naked women right and what that's like that are giving you that power yeah and anything that will validate them Patabi puts his fingers inside of you and it's Shakti pot. It's energy transfer. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's wild, but yeah, it is. It's a super misogynistic culture. When yeah. I was in India, I mean, I can't imagine living in some of those countries as a woman and as a, as a, a guy's guy, I'm just, I don't think twice about it, but when you're around it, you're like, wow, hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's almost like a sub, a subspecies. And in the United States, I see the same thing with men that aren't maybe didn't get a lot of attention from women and then they start teaching yoga and they get a lot of attention from women yeah. and they don't understand how to handle it with emotional maturity but nobody else is talking about it you go to your yoga teacher training and there's no frank discussion about okay when you start teaching yoga you're going to start to get a ton of attention from women and you need to know how to handle that but there's no discussion about that, hmm. like what it's actually like to be in that environment. And that's, I think, the, a, a really big issue is like we're expecting people to operate at this level of integrity that is like, you know, super, super high. Right. When nobody's preparing a 27 year old man for what it's going to be like. And I also think and then I'll, I'll move on. But I there's this strange concept where it feels like people were perpetuating the process also like 
How so? Well, somebody would say, oh, um, Bikram did this, or he invited me up to his room, or people were confronting. And then she goes up to the room? Exactly. Or people would just be quiet about it and not say anything. And they felt as, again, it's, they created an environment where this person was untouchable. They could do anything. Well, people are inherently non-confrontational for the most part, I find. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's just the reality. I mean, that's why we, even when we were joking about this podcast, I was like, let's do it in person. Because when three people are in a room looking at each other, it's a lot easier or it's a lot harder to bullshit or even like get angry. You hear, have you heard Mike, Mike Tyson's recent thing? And no. it's uh, social media has made people way too uncomfortable talking shit without getting punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, and I was true. like, I love that, yeah. you know, because people are these keyboard warriors. Or if you hide behind a phone or text message or this or that, um, it's different than being face to face and having a conversation. Right. And clear down to like, if you're bullshitting face to face, then you're going to be like, come on, man. Yeah. Whereas if it's over the phone, you might say that, but it won't translate and it won't change the course of the conversation. Well, this is a great transition because, again, you know my podcast. I think one of the biggest issues, and I think we don't even, are, we are not even scratching the surface, I think, of the toxicity that is being spread daily because of a very simple thing of what you just said. People think that they can say or do anything. Yeah. They can hide behind their keyboard, they can stare at their phone all day, they can pretend to be happy and confident when in reality they're addicted to drugs or they're miserably unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you know, and just for our personal, I'll just tell a personal story. I remember like six months ago, you posted a video where you were talking about a discussion that we had about are photos, pretty pictures, inspiring? How, how do they affect you? Are they you? inspiring or are they like triggering or something? And Paul responded to it about how... Music. I watch like guys playing guitar really fast and, you know, that is the same thing. And I was going to respond to you. Yeah. Or, and then we started like DMing each other. Yeah, and yeah. Then, but then I my head was about to explode because I realized... I can't have a conversation with you via DMing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it felt as though... So I'm caught and stuck in this world of... I've backed off from using Instagram virtually at all. Because it feels to me as though those are all little ditties. It feels like everybody's doing a little 10-second ditty. And we've somehow been reduced. Twitter's reduced us to 140 characters. Instagram has reduced us to a minute or comments or likes. And sometimes I wonder if... You're perpetuating the process potentially by posting these videos. And then you even posted one the other day where you were telling people about yoga. What was it? You said, oh. I was talking about doing the work. Doing the work. Spiritually. Yeah. Listen to it. But then part of me also feels like it's kind of presumptuous to think that we really know what everybody's relationship with yoga is. Correct. So I don't know. I just feel as though there's such an egocentric trend that evolves by using Instagram. And to me, humility is sort of one of the main issues that we should promote as a yoga teacher. And in a weird sort of way, I don't know about using Instagram if it's really promoting humility. Well, there's no context. Well, would, that's right. the problem. Wouldn't you, sorry, uh, wouldn't you think that Calvin telling people to do the work is humble? 
Like if somebody's like, what he's saying is like, don't just go to an asana class, go to a therapist. Yeah, but go maybe to- somebody going to yoga. I mean, we don't know. Maybe to them going to a yoga class for an hour and a half is, is working for them. It's possible. I mean, I've gone to therapy and sure, therapy provides something that yoga doesn't provide. But for the last few years, I haven't gone to therapy. And I've done, I've meditated or I walk or yeah, I... Yeah, but that's the thing. You just said two other things you do outside of yoga. Right. And what you've actually done in this argument, if you really think about it, is I've taken my snippet of a minute conversation from a much broader, could be a multiple hour, multiple day conversation. Right. And now you've taken a snippet from that minute. To make your point. Well, you took a snippet. I mean, from your whole conversation, right. you recorded a 30, 40 second projecting what you think yoga should be for people or doing the work should be for people. And sometimes I do, I just think it's presumptuous of us to know. And this is to me what's so, so dangerous, and yoga teachers do it, I think, quite all the, pretty much all the time. They project how people should live their lives. And I just think there's such an ego that comes from that. And it's such a dissociation from really understanding how how difficult life is for people. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just I that's something that I think about, and I don't know if when we post videos or photos or descriptions or sayings on how people should li- live their life, I potentially think it's it, it comes across as being out of touch with reality. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Okay, like let's take into context. I think the post I had put up before, the day before, so let's assume these people actually interact on a regular basis, um, was actually why you should meditate and do other things in addition to your yoga practice. So if you take that into context, but I, I stand by actually what I said, that I don't think doing yoga poses is doing personal work. And I said, I think it's a nice start. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know... At the end of the day, I feel like I see people that maybe take meditation classes regularly that tend to go back out into the world and get their lunch at Whole Foods or Air One and be a little bit nicer as opposed to the people that walk out of a vinyasa flow class Hmm. and leave early, whether or not they stay for vinyasa and then go to Air One and get their food and talk shit about the person that was smelling next to them. Yeah. Um, or, or, and these are very, you know, there's broad sides of the spectrum. There's also the person who might be going through hell and just, you know, needs to feel a little better. And that's awesome. But if all they're doing to feel better is a yoga class, then I think they're missing a huge component on personal growth. Yeah. And I'm not telling them that I'm personally better than them or growth. I have a plenty of fucking flaws and you know, I'm, I'm open about that, but that's a start. It's not a means to an end. What's your relationship with with social media and Instagram in the sense that, and you know, I criticize Allo Yoga sometimes because everything they do is like perfect and beautifully shot. But you know, you do these same type of photos also where you're in front of a waterfall and, and, and do you feel like, what's the purpose behind that? Is there a purpose? Do you really think about it or you just think it's a cool photo and you want people to see it? Well, I think that, that, that I, I do try and post... Um, well, my relationship with Instagram and social media is I, I really make an honest effort to spend no more than 25 to 30 minutes a day on both Facebook and Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. Right. I, I basically agree with most of the things that you're saying. 
But in terms of like posting pretty pictures, I, you know, like, uh, I, I mean, driving to a waterfall and, um, with my friend, one of my best friends, who's a, prof a professional photographer and really talented and artistic and getting some really cool shots. Like that's a form of creative expression for me personally. Yeah. I think it's cool. And I do mix up, you know, post pictures like me in a waterfall where it's really just more about the artistic element with like practical tools. Like, like if you're, you know, if you're doing down dog, make sure you're pressing through your thumb and index finger because that's the part of your wrist that's better suited to absorbing weight. Um, you know, like that, that'll be something that I'll share or I'll share something that I've gained from meditation, therapy, men's circles, like, like what Calvin's talking about, like all the stuff that I do on a weekly basis right? that allow me to honestly say like, people are saying, oh man, life is hard. I'm like, it doesn't have to be like the quality of life that most human beings are living at right now is the highest quality of life of human beings in the history of the planet. So what yoga is supposed to do is to be able to in some ways, like you're saying, to be in touch with reality, I don't really want to be in touch with reality because the reality that's being presented to us is extremely unhealthy. Hmm. So yoga, not just asana, but the actual like eight limbs of yoga gives you the opportunity to wake up to the point where you recognize I don't necessarily have to prescribe to these things in order to be happy. And actually, the more I don't, the happier I'll be. So with regards to the whole point, I, I post on Instagram because it is a necessary tool to help me make people aware of the things that I'm offering. And then they have ample choices to not follow me, yeah. not take my teacher training, not come on my retreats. Well, I feel like you've sort of created an indie I mean, you guys used to live together, and it's yeah, yeah. it's interesting to me, though. I almost feel like you became sort of the L.A., I don't want to say corporate because you work at Yoga Works, but you do sort of represent sort of that glamour, but I, I'm trying to look for the right word. Um, what, well, thank you, Eddie. No, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> No, but you you went down that path of working in one of the most popular yoga studios in L.A. You, right. got, you, you work for, I don't know if the right word is at, working for Aloe, but... You, yeah. But you know what I'm saying. No, I, mean, I work for them. But you yeah. sort of went down that. I don't want to say Hollywood because people could say take that in a negative sort of way. What's how would you describe it? And then I feel like Paul, you sort of almost sort of went indie in the sense that you left LA and moved to Bali to create a completely different yoga scene there. More like grassrootsy, kinda. I mean, but, I don't know. How would you sort of equate the similarities or differences between sort of the the, tra the trajectory of your yoga paths? Um, I mean, you don't pick... It's like saying like you pick who you fall in love with. You don't really pick that much. I think you kind of are drawn to... If you're successful, if you're lucky enough to be successful... Yeah. Pause. Then And talented enough. Success yeah. is also talent and perseverance and hard work. Uh -huh. It's not just luck. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the cream rises to the top over time. And if you're a decent-looking guy, you're going to be more popular teaching yoga than a female initially. Mm. And over time, it's easier to build classes. Um, but it's personality-based. We have very different personalities. And, like, that's, 
you know, what he seeks or what he seeked is a lot different than myself. Yeah. I'm, he's from the Midwest, which makes him a nicer person in general, most likely. (laughs) I'm more of like a, a, more of a typical LA person as far as just like the way I talk, the way, maybe not mentally, I'm not as LA, but we're just different people. I'm more crass. I like to, you know, I'm like a chick. I like to go shopping and do all that stuff. And, you know, that sort of stuff, uh, like intrigues me. And so when I started teaching, I started with Vinny at Yoga Works and I taught everywhere in the city. I taught at small studios. I taught at mom and pops. I taught everywhere. But I think just my natural, who I am worked at Yoga Works. That was the fit based on who I am. Um, when you move to Bali and you're more into like the nature stuff, you know, he teaches meditation. His wife is a meditation teacher. They like hippie shit, you know, like when we live together, that's like, it's, you know, this is kind of based on who you are and what you want and what you attract. Um, yeah. So you're also looking at two very specific examples of people who've been lucky enough and skilled enough, but fortunate in succeeding at something like you know you could talk about a lot of people like myself that have not done well or a lot of people like Paul that have not done well and it becomes a whole different conversation it's just a different time and place and but the same type of person do you feel it's yoga if you're not because you know you're right asana is just one part and most people don't know about the other seven yeah and do you feel as though you should have to teach pranayama or meditation is it, that really makes it a yoga class or are these classes where it's really just like the physical are they really just fitness classes and i'm i'm wondering if that's part of the reason why you wanted to go to bali is to cuz i imagine it's a completely different scene there when it comes to a yoga class yes and no um uh yes uh but but there's also the same degree of treachery uh, in Bali because you have it's more spiritual so sometimes you have the the people that are um, with the God complex there's mm. just as much of that in spiritual in, bypassing yeah spiritual bypassing or people acting like they're enlightened or whatever um, I think you just te- you it's your responsibility to teach the things that you know and the longer you've been teaching I think you have Maybe not a responsibility, but it's like, you know, would you gain more doing another teacher training and learning more about alignment or would you gain more by doing a meditation training or would you gain more by studying uh, with the relationship expert? So I think in terms of uh, my personal opinion, I, I, I do believe that a, a yoga teacher, especially one who's asking the world to give them more responsibility, you have to take more responsibility on yourself to be a well-rounded human being and to say, okay, um, if I'm going to stand up in front of these people and lead teacher trainings, um, I have to work on my relationship with my wife. I have to work on my relationship to a higher power. I have to work on my relationship with my parents. Because um, all of these things are layers of 
karma that we have to deal with. And it doesn't mean I have to perfect any of these things because my relationship with my wife is fantastic, but it's not perfect. And my relationship with my parents is fantastic, but it's not perfect. But if I'm working on it, then I feel more comfortable standing up in front of a room full of people talking about ethics. Yeah. And talking about how I want to treat other human beings and how I want to treat myself. You know, yamas, niyamas. Yamas are basically, um, you know, our relationship to the outside world. And uh, the the niyamas are basically self-respect. Sometimes I wonder, let's say you incorporated any of that into the class of Main Street if the, the attendance would just plummet. And not because you were doing it wrong. Do you, you don't think it would? Hell no. Interesting. It's, Hell I no. Mean, I, cause I, I, think, I think, you know, yours is one of the most bu- uh, busiest classes. And I wonder if you started to go to those other areas. If I just, I don't know. I think the attendance would drop because I don't I think people. completely disagree. Okay. It's just different. It, it's yeah. like, I, I don't disagree with the things he says to work on, but I think what he's talking about working on for me is stuff that you should be doing to be a well-adjusted adult and human being. Not that you need to work on those relationships in order to be a better yoga instructor or teacher. Um, I think that's just part of being a, a, well, a well-rounded, well-adjusted person. For me, I don't, you know, I would rather take the time to study other things specifically. But like, you know, I incorporate stuff with like breathwork practices about bringing your nervous system into a sympathetic versus parasympathetic state. It's similar sorts of things as far as physiological, but I just don't your know. vernacular it can be different, you know? Like, it's also, I would rather be really good at one thing as far as an, a teacher and then add on for my personal growth or evolution or whatever the word is, um, then spread it thin because for me, everything is so particular. Like I separate meditation and and an asana or a yoga class, um, but that's just me. And, you know, like I kind of, for a lot of people, like I they talk about like their yoga class is a moving meditation. I think for some people it is and for some people it's not. I have a friend who took my class yesterday and he sent me a screenshot of his Apple iWatch because he set a personal record and burnt 750 calories in class. Right. That is not a moving meditation. Um, <laughs> it's fine and it's good and, and well. Um, yeah, but that's my point. I don't... Maybe, maybe, Paul, you and I disagree. I do but think... But the same side, I had another friend who, you know, was super stressed out and cried during hip stretches because he felt like he just like needed to take a yoga class not because his emotions were in his hips but because he just like needed a release i have another friend who's gone through a pretty shitty relationship and he constantly tells me he goes to yoga to get out of his head and i constantly tell him then he's going for the wrong reason and he also leaves class after an hour every you know there's always an excuse in which I tell him, go to class once or twice a week and stay the whole time and prioritize your time instead of coming four times a week and leaving after the standing postures. Um, and, you know, me and Paul on the way over were talking about what do you, what do you believe in in your system? Um, what's the intent of the exercise? 
And the intent of the class is to feel better at the end. And then everything else is a bonus added. Hmm. Um, and so if your intention is to get stronger or sweat, cool. You, you're, you can get that out of this, but it's not, you're working out. And depending on what the intention is, you get out of it what you kind of put in. thing about would somebody's I just know from my own personal experience um, teaching at power yoga in Santa Monica which is not that different from yoga works right um, when I started to incorporate meditation when I started to play guitar during Shavasana when I started to talk more about I wouldn't call it necessarily even I would call it my own spiritual journey when I talked about the things that I had gone through in order to, the struggles that I've been through in order to become a better man, um, my donations and the people that came went like significantly higher. So I, I, I don't think that, um, that adding, I don't think that the environment at Santa Monica Main Street is superficial at all. I think that people are there to, to experience something. And the teachers that teach at that studio are incredibly skilled. It doesn't have to be just a workout. And at the same time, I just know after living with Calvin for long periods of time, like or for a year and a half, like uh, Calvin's a really loyal, good friend. And it, he's, he's much more of a, um, a deeper, introspective person than... than people give him credit for uh just i just know that having lived with him um i think probably being that type of person though in a public platform is is probably really scary yeah he didn't take six years of acting classes like i did where i'm like ripping my heart out in front of people and used to like crying in front of people and like being a fucking mess and like and, and just like noticing like oh wow like people actually respond to that right you know when i when i talk about like how um, I went through a period of my life where my fingertips went numb and I couldn't play guitar because my anxiety and depression had gotten so bad. You know, I've learned that like sharing that is actually empowering versus like, but that's because of my acting, uh, just because of my experience as a performer and, and, a, and, a, and an artist. Yeah, my teaching style is more, it's not look at it. I don't, I'm not, I, you know. Yeah. Even when you take my class, it's not look at me. It's not about me. It's everything's right. directed towards the other person. But also if you talk about teaching those sorts of things, my personal space on all of that is inquisition. And so I'm not comfortable talking about that because I like to inquire other people's opinion and then I take it in and I don't necessarily have an opinion. Like I was out with one of my friends too, recently and the conversation was like steering away from, um, and I think I've talked to you about this before, like one of my favorite things to ask people is like, what do you think happens when you die? That's a conversation that is fully inquisitive based on somebody's own opinions and maybe experience. So if that's something like that I inquire about fairly regularly with people I'm comfortable talking to, that's not something to bring in because all it is is kind of collecting speculative data. And that's how all of that world feels to me. I feel like especially if you're put in a position of quote-unquote power, and I start quoting 
inquisitive speculative speculation, like it, it, it doesn't work for me. But I'm also, you know, Vita stands on the stage for most of the class, or, or you know, some teachers do that. I'm walking around. I'm off to the side. It's not a it's not a me you. thing. Well, that's one of the things that I've loved about your class. I've never felt as though. I, did, I never felt the ego permeating off of the, the stage or wherever you were. There was a humility to your class all the time. And I think that's an important lesson. Something that I take when I teach is that it really isn't about me. I, I mean, it's about the 10, 20, in your case, 100 people that are in that room trying to find whatever sense of yoga, relaxation, maybe a workout and they, that they can find in that hour and a half. And so often I've, I've found a lot of yoga teachers make it about them. And to me, that's sort of where the imbalance happens. And then th- there's a toxicity in the room that I could feel. Right. And I never felt that in your class. Well, it's also you have X amount of words you're going to give throughout a class. And I think you notice even lately, all of our teaching changes, but there's a lot of like, a lot of the cueing and verbiage I use now is like, maybe, maybe this works for you, maybe not. And I'd rather give you a few options of what might work for you or what you might feel than try to do something else that feels preachy and isn't consistent with me or my verbiage or the way I act or the way I teach. So it's different. You know, the person that comes to my class is a different person than comes to Paul's class is a different person that comes to someone else. There's a crossover always because there's similarities. But if you go like specific, it's it's different, you know. And I only talk about the the things, the tools that I've used um, that have helped me. And I am more opinionated in terms of believing that, like, if you do these things, um, you will see benefits. Like, if you if you start incorporating gratitude as part of your weekly routine, which is basically santosha, right? Contentment. It's been scientifically proven to change the way that you feel about yourself and the way that you feel about the world. So there's really, I, I basically say it in a way. It's like it's proven, and these are facts, and try it. And it's also one of the things you're supposed to practice as a yogi is, is contentment and gratitude and do it. And I think that's before we move on, that's sort of why I, you know, place a little higher standard on the potential that can arise from going to yoga three, four, five times a week. I do think, and of course I read a lot about it, but I do know anxiety disconnection people aren't talking people aren't around each other you know we need human connection that that all provides stability it it provides love it provides comfort these are all normal reactions and human emotions that we need and we aren't getting them as much anymore so if you go to a yoga class for an hour hour and 15 minutes hour and a half and it's just 90 minutes of asana yeah there's probably serotonin that's released and you probably feel better endorphins you sweat you yeah move. but you know if there's a way to add a little bit of some of these other concepts from the limbs of yoga i think now more than ever i just feel like people need that 
Yeah, and but I think that the, 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 the misconception is that you don't think that maybe he's doing that, but I think that he is in subtle ways. Like you can you can describe something like sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system is basically yang and yin energy. Well, I want to be clear. I I don't think that I'm not pointing the finger in any way that I don't think Calvin's doing it. And, and I said this earlier. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we. I mean, this is where maybe you, Paul, and I just disagree. I don't think we are currently in a state where people even know how to absorb it, per se. Like, they literally are so busy. They're staring at – busier than they actually think they are because they can't they can't manage their time now because of their phone. And so really all they want in that hour, hour and a half is to sweat. Yeah, but you also – I think you use the word phone when you really should be using the term technology. Hmm. Um, because yeah, but I technology feel like is... is growing at such a huge spike and human evolution moves at such a snail's pace that whether it's te- whether it's your phone or just everything that's now available to you at your fingertips or all the different stuff that we now learn and are able to do, you don't have to leave your house. You could talk to every one of your friends face-to-face on your phone. You can order everything. We're just not there yet. We've only been sitting in chairs for a certain amount mm. of, of human history. Our body hasn't evolved to sitting in chairs. Yeah. And then you have a phone that over the last, I mean, what, the first iPhone, I was probably 20, you know, 10, 15 years. 10, 11 years. 10, 11 years ago. It's just, it takes time to catch up. It's yes, you can blame the phone. I feel like you blame that phone more than you should blame that phone, maybe more than Instagram. And you should blame technology more than the phone because somebody just figured out how to use a platform of it. Well, I think Instagram started to play with emotions. I mean, I think somehow once cable television came out, that started it. And then Maury, um, Jerry Springer somehow created a world where people wanted to be on television. And people wanted more attention. And then the phone, and the reason why I pinpoint the phone, you know, you wouldn't see a million people carrying their laptop around all the time. There's such a convenience to having the phone in your pocket. Mm -hmm. But then social media and Instagram has created a part of the phone that is addictive and plays with people's emotions. And by only having the like, that plays with people's emotions. And then the follower count. I mean, that platform. And then the filters that you can make to make your skin look better. And, I mean, that has taken the addictive qualities of the phone and then started to rewire people's brains. Mm. And that, to me, is sort of where the danger happens. Yeah. So, I mean, the filters are also funny. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I have, like, a, a friend of mine. We were, we were at dinner Sunday night with a group of friends. And... uh she loves her filters. She uses like that, like Jessica Rabbit filter, sure. you know, from Snapchat. And she was out with her friends, and her friend posted a regular photo of the group, and then she posted her version filtered. And she got into a fight with the friend because the friend's like, "What? You don't look like like what I look like normally." But at the end of the day, I was laughing because I sent a photo to like the girl's boyfriend and our other friend in a group chat, and I was like, "In this filtered photo, these chicks all look like trannies." Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's your perception of it too. Yeah. And it cut it's same being a well-adjusted person. I, I, I have a relationship with social media where I don't view it as real life. 
That and but a lot of people do. Like I joke around nonstop on my social media. I make a bunch of stupid comments, and then like I get hate messages here and there from people that like think I'm being serious. I made like a joke like about ex exes being like used toys, <laughs> and I had a couple people just freak out, and I, and it's just like it's a joke. Yeah, and it's literally just a joke. And then, like, I'll say something else that's maybe not as, you know, something else. I made a joke about my sex life yesterday. And everyone thinks it's funny because everyone likes to talk about sex. They just don't like to say it out loud necessarily on social media. Right. But it's, you just, it's not real life. I get that people think it is. I get it is a drug in the way that it's addictive and those things. But we talk about this all the time. You just have to, people have to be willing to be a fucking adult. Yes. And then to take responsibility for it. And one thing I will say is that my environment now is so different than mm. you guys. So, like, when people come to my studio at the Yoga Barn, they're not coming in between appointments. They're not coming, like, they have come to, like, take a month to detox. Hmm. So their level of sincerity with going significantly deeper is higher than it would be if you're living in, like, having lived here and having taught here for four and a half years. Um, it's it's really inspiring because people will come from all over the world and they're like, I'm here for a month and I'm going to take three classes a day. And one of them will be like a power yoga class or vinyasa and the other two will be like yin and meditation or um, they'll do workshops on intimacy, which is what my, my wife offers that teaches people how to listen consciously and how to make eye contact and how to breathe into their body when they're feeling insecure or triggered, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and these types of things are so important and people are dying for them. Your perception of it, I'm telling you that I live in a part of the world where there is um, there's a, a massive appetite. And people are very aware of how unhealthy our society has become. And they're really looking for tools and um, ways to develop habits to, to counteract that. So that there's a massive appetite for it, especially where I live, where people are, I mean, they're really coming to you. So this, the town that I live in is called Ubud, which right. means medicine, and Bali the island means offering. So I live in the medicine offer, medicine offering. Do it's you, pretty beautiful when you think of it that way. That, do you have students that just come that aren't there like on a month retreat, but they'll just they're just going to class like every day and they work during the day and then they come. I mean, is that the environment there also? Yeah, there's a ton of people okay. that live in Bali that are expats from all over the world. A lot of them have online businesses. Another thing that really is apparent when you leave America is that there's a lot of things about America that are wonderful. And there's a lot of things about America that are extremely unhealthy and that and that you put any type of person into a really unhealthy environment and they're going to be all discombobulated. The way in which people work here is very unhealthy. The lack of vacation, the lack of support from the government. Um on like basic healthcare and like the violence in this country. I mean, there's so many things that the political environment, all of these things are having a massive impact. The president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A a on people. And then unfortunately, I think only 10% of the, 
of Americans are going anywhere other than Mexico, Jamaica, or Canada. So you're looking at one out of 10 Americans are actually seeing the world. A lot world. of that's financial, though. Well, it's financial, but it's also what are you, what, it's conditioning. People are being conditioned to buy the next iPhone versus wait and spend a thousand bucks on a plane ticket to Europe or go to South or go to Southeast Asia where it's incredibly affordable. But because of the bombardment, which is social media is part of it, but just the, like you have to buy things. And then the, also the, the attitude of like you live in the greatest country in the world. Like that's not true. Like I've been to enough countries to know that America is a great country, but to to un to to unanimously declare it the greatest country in the world is only a statement that somebody would make if they've never been anywhere. Because it's not. It's a great country, but Wait, what is then? Hmm? What is the greatest country? In the I don't know what the greatest country <laughs> in the world is. I'm not saying it. Yeah, is but but I know at least ten, eleven different countries where the quality of life is. At least as good as America, if not better. For some reason, I'm thinking about this analogy. It's not really overwhelmingly cool, but just living in a bubble. Yeah. And somehow, you know, this this idea of what you're talking about, Americans think America is the greatest country in the world. And we were just in Croatia, and the people just love their country there as much yeah. as, you know, Americans love theirs. And I do think that's why I'm sort of negative about the phone and Instagram. It, it is sort of perpetuating everybody's own little bubble like they are literally just in their instagram world they're in their phone the biggest problem entertainers movie theaters have these days is getting people out of the house and to me netflix is increasing you know giving everybody a bubble i mean everybody's living in a bubble now i feel like and that's why i don't I, I have a hard time believing people are willing to explore and travel like you're suggesting well, maybe they're not, but my idea as a teacher is I want to be the type of person that's going to inspire you to want to live life at that level. Because if you start living like that way, then the toxicity of the world no longer affects you. So I think if if yoga is designed to do anything, it's it's designed to, to make us healthy in an unhealthy environment. And if it's not, then... That sucks yeah. because that's kind of the point. And my job as a teacher, and I will say that like leading teacher trainings has made me step up to like a completely different level of accountability in terms of like what standards I set for myself, like what type of husband am I being, what type of 
what friend am I being? What type of brother, son, like, uh, not just teacher, but just, and, and it's, it's been nice to try and meet these challenges. You and I were talking about something and I'm curious about, cause you and I didn't agree this idea of mentorship and you were saying like Vinny's your mentor mm-hmm. here in LA and I think it's good to get a new mentor every few years because in this weird sort of way and I no, that's I, Paul's thing well yeah and I, and I kind of agree no I, I kind of you were the one who said that no he did and, okay. and then you and I talked about okay, it okay yeah because in this weird sort of way I found like I feel like if you're going to the same person all the time, I almost feel like you sort of become them in a weird sort of way because you're around them and they're, you're around their practice. I don't know if you're growing if you have the same mentor for like the next 25 years. And if your mentor is not growing, then you're not. Maybe. But I think it's also that his, Calvin's saying like, do you want to be really, really good at one thing? Or do you want to be pretty good at seven or eight different things? Whereas, like, I, I kind of want to be really good at seven or eight different things. And Calvin perhaps wants to be a complete master at one or two. And Vinny's one of the best teachers in Los Angeles. So it's not but, like he chose, a, like, a bad mentor. Yeah, but, I mean, I've said this okay, to but, Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I'm going to cut you off on yeah, this please. one. Yes, please. Let's start with, well, that depends. Okay. Because, exactly. What, what's the goal? I think that there's a few big issues with not having consistent mentorship. And I think Antonio Brown is a perfect example of that. If we want to bring it into sports, you know who that is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? I'm a hippie, man. Oh, I'm man. Falling. It's okay. <laughs> Antonio Brown is a receiver. He was on the Steelers. He's had a bunch of breakdown stuff. He's yeah. been kicked off a bunch of teams lately. He lost his mentorship. Or, he, you know, the people that mentored him into the league where he started to make millions of dollars, kind of disappeared from his life. All of a sudden, he's broken down, had all these issues. He's no longer in the NFL for now. For me, the idea of a mentorship also ties into something that is very much lost in a lot of our modern society, and that's loyalty. So it's just not about, hey, I've gathered the information from you that I need, and now I will move on to something else. It's about the loyalty of the relationship, you know, just like somebody can post a picture of themselves or a video and have a million people watch it, but not be able to look somebody in the eyes in a conversation. It all kind of ties in for me. So part of being a mentor for me as a, as a yoga teacher is not telling somebody what to do, but understanding what they need to not do. Why are you doing this? Why you're standing like this? Don't do this, blah, blah, blah. Because people aren't harsh critics. People don't tell you when you fuck up. Hmm. They tell you that you're great and you're amazing. And that's not being a good mentor. Agreed. But a lot of it is like your history and knowing somebody over time. Um, It's a relationship. And part of, you know, you have to be an adult. Vinny is my yoga teacher mentor and my very close friend. But I'm not calling him for my relationship advice. Right. I'm not calling him for my dietary advice. His mentorship is is very much in one track. Before I make any business decision, I do call him about teaching yoga or if I have any questions about my my profession. And, you know, a lot of times a conversation will come back to like, well, remember when you did this six, seven, eight years ago, five, you know, whatever. 
And if you're not, if you don't have an ongoing relationship and you can't reference those things, there's, there's a, a lack of, if you don't know where you're from, you can't figure out where you're going. If you're thinking mentorship as far as acquiring knowledge, yes, you need to acquire knowledge in multiple areas and facets and from different people. I study with different people a lot, but I have one mentor and I'm loyal to him as my teacher because I think that loyalty is lost in translation in our modern culture. Um, And you have to practice what you uh, preach. You know, I still take his class regularly. He's my mentor. I call him before, you know, I make work decisions just to run it by him whether or not I agree with his take I still run it by him and it's a two-way street you know like he also he's like this is my last retreat I know you don't go on any of these will you please come assist it I'm like yeah sure I'm in is it really your last retreat though yeah (laughs) you know but there's just you have to over time I think mentorship like I mentor teachers now and it's very much a mirror I start to see the things that in my mind are inherent that are not inherent for people. And I get to see the process of people and their consistency and what they do and don't take from it. Or if you give somebody an assignment or something to do, and then they don't follow through on it, and then they move on to somebody else as a mentor, and they come back. I'm like, well, I asked you to do this and you didn't do it. So what, what do you ask? What do you want now? Like last time I gave you help, you've, basically told me to fuck off <laughs> right? and then now you're going to move on to somebody else who maybe gives you the answer that you want to hear and that's not mentorship like you're pretty young and you're already working with aloe and you teach at a great studio in la i mean and i've sensed that people can get burnout pretty easily teaching yoga i mean is is it something that you could sense that have you ever sensed that or, or is this a career that you want to sustain for the next 30 years because I mean, you can burn out, but I watch you. How many people have you seen Paul burn out in a few years? Oh, so many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's been almost a decade now. Okay. And I've definitely burnt out, but that's when you kind of just can reset. Like, and it, it's funny, like, we're, it's great where we are, too. I saw Joan Hyman yesterday. She's been subbing a little bit and she travels nonstop. And she's actually saying how too. much she loves to come home and teach because the students are so freaking strong here, but also how she uses her time here to kind of reset. She lives with her boyfriend and then she'll teach a little bit. You have to be consistent in what you do. Me and Brock talk about this. If you're not practicing regularly, whatever that means, as far as what you can do, Hmm. there's physical limitations, injuries and what have you. But if you're not practicing, you don't have any business teaching. Yeah. I don't practice fancy stuff anymore. I don't have any business teaching it. But I also, I practice a lot. And that's why I don't have a problem telling you to hold Warrior 2 for two fucking minutes until you shake your face off. Because I do that in Vinny's class all the time. You just have to, you have to stay consistent in something if you want to teach it. I think it's important to continue to challenge yourself too. And I think if you don't challenge yourself, that's when you get burnt out. Like I think particularly amongst senior teachers that have had a certain degree of success um, after, I'm not a senior teacher yet, um, but I think it's like, uh, what's the next challenge? 
And if I'm not challenging myself, that's when I get bored. And sometimes challenging myself is, uh, you know, uh, take a training that puts me outside of my comfort zone, whether it's physical training or emotional or um, spiritual or whatever. But make sure that, like, I find someone who's who's respected that I could really learn from. And and um, I think it's really important to 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 get comfortable being uncomfortable and to and like um, talk about do something regularly that is uncomfortable that you know is good for you and that will facilitate growth and when we're not growing i think that's when burnout comes yeah yeah what's your take on the mentorship circling back i i i agree with what you're i understand why vinny's incredible he's a great teacher and vinny is also really good at He's a really good example of somebody who's had a ridiculous amount of success that hasn't developed any type of guru vibe or I'm enlightened or, you know, I'm in it. So for somebody like Calvin, who's having a lot of success to be mentored by somebody like Vinny, who has also had a lot of success and hasn't used it to hasn't used it in any in a a slimy way and hasn't like um, developed a massive I mean, I mean Vinny has a very healthy ego but it's not a toxic ego and I think there's a difference between that like like Oprah Winfrey has a very healthy ego very yeah. healthy it's not toxic I think the only person that can kill our ego is God so it's like you might as well learn to, to make friends with your ego and and learn when it's dangerous and if you're and I think the more success a person has, the more dangerous it can be. And um, having somebody to keep you grounded is really important. So I have those people, but I also moved across the world. So, um, you know, I had to find new mentors. There's, I mean, there's really no way around it. I had to find new mentors. And I, I, I agree with what, why he said that. And there's, that's great and being loyal. Um, and I also know that for me like every three to four years i am looking for a new mentor um, but it's not until i'm feel like i've really absorbed a lot from my teacher that i that that that's when i look for a new mentor you know you seem pretty well adjusted calvin but I've seen people that are Allo people that work for Allo, and they're a freaking train wreck. And I wonder, and I sort of have, I connect, I almost compare it to like the Corey Feldmans, the Corey Hames, the people that had childhood success. Mm-hmm. And I just thought of that analogy like a few days ago. It's, it almost feels like if, if, because nobody can possibly be prepared for any sort of Instagram fame and the attention that you get, it almost feels like, you're lucky if you don't become a train wreck because that's what's going to happen if you get any sort of attention or fame or notoriety by being an Instagram star. No, because he has a certain degree of notoriety. I have a little bit. And I think if you have people in your life, hold on, if you have people in your life, mentors like Vinny, that can, or, or other people that can like remind you that you're not as cool as you think you are. And we all need that every once in a while. I think it's different for women though. 
I think. I mean, you're also, maybe. Are you talking models? You're talking yoga teachers. An Instagram famous yoga teacher is a medium-sized fish in a tiny pond. <laughs> right. So yeah. let's be very clear about the difference between that and models. And also, you can talk about like a company like Aloe that's actually, if you look at their online presence now, it's vastly different than it was a few years ago. They have much less yoga teachers under contract. They now basically do a lot of their online marketing through bloggers and you know instagram women or models or what have you um but fashion bloggers and they use a lot of that marketing towards fashion as a clothing company and that's fine i think the kind of like yoga person online that that more triggered you is the one that talks about their life so if some victoria's secret model takes a photo wearing an aloe pair of pants because she's paid for it then it becomes okay correct it's just the implication. So right. everything evolves as far as how that goes. And as a clothing company, that's your job. You sell pants. Right. But, but, you know, you say that there's no difference between, you know, a Heidi Klum. Or you say there's a huge difference between a Heidi Klum and an uh, uh, Instagram person that has 100,000 followers. But I do think, mentally speaking, that person with 100,000 followers who works for Aloe, they think of themselves as Heidi Klum. They actually have the same emotional responses. And I think, I do think there is a similarity. They actually, their brain responds to the dopamine and the likes and the attention and it makes them feel like they're a celebrity i mean you have 30 40 000 followers or something i'm just guessing if you keep getting attention all day and you keep getting dopamine and likes if you're not well adjusted or have somebody who reminds you that you're just calvin and i don't think a lot of people have that that's where the toxicity and the this pompous, grandiloquent sort of behavior where you do think that you are a celebrity. Yeah, but be a fucking adult. Right. Like, we were talking about on the ride over the homeless problem in L.A. and how fucking terrible it is. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's gotten worse. And it's, it's gotten terrible. worse. Yeah, and, 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 and I think that one of the biggest problems with it, and, I, you know, people probably won't like hearing this, is that there is a good amount of people that are down on their luck and that we really should be caring for and taking care of. And there's a flawed system and a lot of people that we perpetuate this kind of bullshit and we allow them to not try to do anything or better their lives. Um, it's like, cool, if you're down on your luck, yeah, cool, let's get you a job. Like, what was that? Do you remember the company and they made necklaces with a key and it was all people that were out of prison that they would hire to do that? Let's create work programs so that you can earn your keep. Not let's make an apartment building in Venice Beach and give a hundred of you a free apartment by the beach without having to pass a fucking drug test. Yeah. So... You know, yes, somebody gets an ego based on a following, but we have examples in all sorts of parts of our society of people that just don't want to be a fucking adult. You just see it more because of an algorithm. Yeah, I, I agree. You got to yeah. take responsibility. And, and I think now it's like what I do see sometimes, too, is like like if if somebody's worked really hard to be able to have their body look a certain way or if they worked really hard to be able to do a pose like there is a certain degree of respect that that I think 
that person deserves, not deserves, but they have a right to like, to, to have that. And for somebody to say like, oh, it's just so unrealistic. It's like, maybe, but learning a handstand is not unrealistic. It's not a hard pose. Like if you really set a goal, like almost anybody could learn how to do a handstand. And if people shaming somebody for doing a handstand, it's like, well, if you worked as hard as me, you could do one too. Now our country's become so so overweight that like first like if somebody's like looking really healthy, they're like you're setting an unrealistic goal of like like of health and well-being. It's like maybe the bar has been set too low here. Hmm. And people like it's our job to make people less fragile, you know, like I, I'd rather have somebody um, want to in, be inspired to work harder and to set the bar for themselves higher, not just physically, but also like emotionally, like and mentally, like the bar has been set very low and and everybody's really sensitive and really fragile. And I think that's a huge problem. Like how fragile people are. Yeah, and I guess in closing, I do think that people are so self-absorbed and engrossed in their bubble, sitting on their ass all day and like not experiencing life. And we are turning into zombies. We literally, I just got back from New York. I mean, everybody's just staring at their phones, walking into telephone poles and walking to each other. And people are like... But it's kind of funny, right? Well... I mean, I don't think like I like we all sit here and we laugh at the thought of that. Of course, it's can you take humor and fucked up stuff? Well, I think when I read about how, I mean, to me, Donald Trump sort of symbolizes the a culture that really doesn't care to read or educate themselves. He's a mirror. Yeah, and and so. Of course, like, look, I, you know, you and I joke, Calvin and I, because nobody can see me looking at you. Of course, you know, we joke all the time. And, you know, people say Eddie, Eddie has a great sense of humor, but I think... By people, he means no one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but when I see... But this is the thing. This is what personalizes it, though. When yeah. people are... And Ed Norton even said this on the Joe Rogan show. When he's riding his motorcycle down the 405 and people are driving down the 405 staring at their phones and texting. I mean... When Donald Trump is in, in the office, when people aren't going to the movie theaters and just staring at Netflix, and Netflix's algorithm is affecting creativity and oh, the way the people... YouTube algorithm. That, I mean, that so documentary like, was insane. To me, it's, it gone, it's gone beyond... And I don't mean to be a downer here about it at all, but to me, it's gone beyond this is funny. It's gotten to the point where things are really sort of spiraling out of control. And I don't know if there's anything we can do to stop it because Amazon and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or, and YouTube are just far too powerful. Well, there are things that that we can do. So I, I, I'm a big believer in um, what what we can do is I can develop my own self hmm. to the point where that, those things are no longer affecting me negatively. And that makes me – this is the whole idea of like stop being so fragile. I can choose – to to not like to be to to develop myself to the point where I can stand on my own two feet, and then my job is to do that for the people close to me, and then my job is to make it even bigger. I mean, that's that's our job as yoga teachers is to help people become more resilient mm. to a very unhealthy human society, and. 
that's what we can do. That's empowering. Because I, dude, I feel you. I get so cynical. You know, like, uh, that's the way, you know, like Cal- Calvin talked about, he's, he's like from the, like, he's like, he falls from the Midwest, he's a nicer guy than me. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm more cynical and more arrogant than Calvin. Like, that's, and that's how I choose to put out the fire of my own cynicism is by saying, okay, what can I do for myself? And then how can I use those skills to help other people be able to function in the world at at a level where they're happier and they're giving back because the quality of life that we are all living in right now is the highest quality of life of human beings have ever lived in the, in the history of the world. And then people are all, they have all of these mental obstacles that are conditioned through society to believe that life is miserable. And it's like, no, it's not. You're miserable because nobody gave you tools to be able to realize how fucking blessed we are. Like that kid who, uh, the, the colorblind kid. Did you see that? This yeah, week? yeah. There's a colorblind kid and his principal gives him this pair of like glasses that are made. And he got to see color and he starts crying. It's yeah. super rad. But and, also the and, pendulum swings. Yeah. And it's gone real fucked up real fast, but... You know, it doesn't mean that it won't necessarily move back. And maybe it won't. But you look, politics, the pendulum always swings. And squeaky wheel gets the grease. I mean, all like the homeless issues and the rights, like now that they're affecting people so much, I think it'll start to move back. And it'll they'll address the issue of mental health. We look at our president, and I think that politics will start to shift back at some point. You know, maybe, hopefully, next year. Yeah. Um, but Obama, historically, it's probably yeah. like, you know what, it's usually like two terms and then it switches back. So the pendulum does swing and things have gotten really gnarly really fast, but everything kind of grows at a faster rate now. Civilization hasn't really been around that long. If you look at just the growth of everything, and it doesn't necessarily mean it won't get better. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's your responsibility. If you have an issue with Google and Amazon, don't buy shit from them. Right. It's like the, I'm not vegan, but there's that one, uh, I saw something in there, it's like, oh, going vegan won't make a difference. And then after three years vegan, it's the t- statistics of what you personally have done. Yeah. Um, which is great, as long as you have the understanding that going vegan doesn't mean wearing designer clothes anymore. <laughs> because... That's, you know, and doing all these other things. And yes, I don't eat meat, but I'm wearing a $1,000 leather jacket or Nikes or leather shoes or any of that stuff. Um, But if you're conscious about whatever you do, like that's all you can really do. Surround yourself with people like that. Yeah. And get out of your bubble. Do your best. You know, but all you can do is do your best. Guys, it's been... I know you got to go. I know you have to go to, uh, you're doing a bubble bath talk today or a <laughs> no tub talk today. <laughs> bubble bath talk. <laughs> Calvin, you're going to have to fire back before you. Was good. Angry <laughs> Eddie. Angry Eddie just poking. That was a good one. <laughs> That's why Paul's here. He actually flew in to be a part. 
of the podcast. You flew in from freaking I flew Bali. And I leave tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a tub talk on why <laughs> independent podcasters are ruining the world. <laughs> it's true, actually. We're yeah. sort of away. Because they're so narcissistic, they have to talk to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be great to have all four people listen to this one. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you guys taking the time. It means a lot. It was, it was, again, it proves the point of, you know, face to face. It almost feels as though in order to get face to face, conversations without distractions it requires turning on a microphone and having people in a room and talking and recording it it's crazy but it, but it creates a real conversation without a combative argument because you're face to face yeah you don't it's very few people get charged and argue about something face to face you you learn to articulate and and kind of figure out a conversation it's different yeah it's true yeah Cool. Mike okay. Tyson. Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, thank I appreciate you guys taking the I'm time. I'm going to spend the next, you know, the, the next 24 hours just trolling everyone on, on, <laughs> on the internet. I'm just, I'm just going to troll Eddie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Later. <laughs>